brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This is the Wheel of Time Spoilers Podcast. Your hosts are... Seth Jacobson and Patrick Heiler. Hi, I'm Seth. And I'm Patrick. This chapter a little bit out of order because we we did chapter five and we went so long on chapter five that we didn't do chapter six. But then the next time we sat down, we actually did chapter seven, eight. We just did our regular flow and had forgotten that we didn't do two the night the week before. Yeah. So we've got to go back and do chapter six here, uh, slightly out of order. <laughs> we have and a we're system just radio, do... and if you change it slightly, we mess up. <laughs> no. There's a pipeline. We do There's the only same one shit way to... every week, yeah. <laughs> There's only one way to put out 200 plus episodes, and that's by uh, repetition of pipelining. And uh, we missed a step. Seth texted me like in the middle of the week. He was like, I can't find my file for six. He was like, I don't I was know what I did. Out. I, I freaked I, out for a solid half hour. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll check and see if I have mine. And I was like, I can't find mine either. How, how do we explain this? It took me like a full two minutes. <laughs> and Patrick was like, I don't think how we recorded both that lose night. It? <laughs> it took me a while. And I was like, oh, and then I went back and realized the episode before was like two and a half hours long. And I was like, oh, that's why we didn't. <laughs> we, went, we went two and a half hours on that because I was wasted. I was I had been drinking heavily on that one. So <laughs> that's going to be fun to edit. Well, all that being said, this is chapter six of Fires of Heaven Gateways. And our symbol is Lanfear's Moon and Stars. Rand woke in total darkness and lay there beneath his blankets, trying to think of what had wakened him. It had been something. Not the dream. He had been teaching Avienda how to swim, in a pond, in the waterwood, back home in the two rivers. Something else. Then it came again, like a faint whiff of a foul miasma creeping under the door. Not a smell at all, really. A sense of otherness. But that was how it felt. Rank. Like something dead, a weak and stagnant water. 
It faded again, but not all the way this time. Tossing aside his blankets, he stood up, wrapping himself in Sidene. Inside the void, filled with the power, he could feel his body shiver, but the cold seemed in another place from where he was. Cautiously, he pulled open the door and stepped out. Arched windows at either end of the corridor let in falls of moonlight. After the pitch black of his room, it was nearly like day. Nothing moved, but he could feel... something coming closer. Something evil. It felt like the taint that roared through him on the power. One hand went to his coat pocket, to the small carved figure of a round little man holding a sword across his knees, an angry owl. With... with that, he could channel more of the power than even he could safely handle unaided. If he thought it would not be necessary. Whoever had sent this attack against him did not know who they were dealing with now. They should never have let him wake. For a moment, he hesitated. He could take the fight to whoever had been sent against him, but he thought it was still below him, down where the maidens were still sleeping, by the silence. With luck, it would not bother them, unless, unless he rushed down to battle it in their midst. That would surely wake them, and they would not stand by and watch. Land said you should choose your own ground, if you could, and make your enemy come to you. Smiling, he raced the thud of his boots up the nearest curving stairway, on upward, until he reached the top floor. The highest level of the building was one large chamber with a slightly domed glass ceiling, and scattered thin columns fluted in spirals. Glassless arched windows all around flooded every corner with moonlight. The dust and grit and sand on the floor still faintly showed his own footprints from the one time he had come up here, and no other mark. It was perfect. Striding to the center of the room, he planted himself atop a mosaic there, the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai. Ten feet across, it was an apt place. Under this sign will he conquer. That was what the prophecy of Ruidian said of him. He stood straddling the sinuous dividing line, one boot on the black teardrop that was now called the Dragon's Fang, and used to represent evil, the other on the white, now called the Flame of Tarvalon. Some men said it stood for the light, an appropriate place to meet this attack between light and darkness. The fetid feel grew stronger, and a burned sulfur smell filled the air. Suddenly, things moved, slinking away from the stairs like moon shadows, along the outside of the room. Slowly, they resolved into three black dogs, darker than night and big as ponies. Eyes shining silver, they circled him warily. With the power in him, he could hear their hearts beat, like deep drums pounding. He could not hear them breathe, though. Perhaps they did not. He channeled, and a sword was in his hands. Its slightly curving, heron-marked blade seemed hammered out of fire. He had expected Murdral, or something even worse than the Eyeless, but for dogs, even Shadowspawn do dogs, the sword would be enough. Whoever had sent him did not know him. Land said he had very nearly reached the level of Blademaster now, and the warder was sparing enough with praise to make him think he had passed on to that level already. With snarls like bones being ground into dust, the dogs hurled at him from three sides, faster than galloping horses. He did not move until they were almost on him. Then he flowed, one with the sword, move to move, as though dancing. In the blink of an eye, the sword form called Whirlwind on the Mountain became the wind blows over the wall, became unfolding the fan. Great black heads flew apart from black bodies. 
their dripping teeth like burnished steel, still bared as they bounced across the floor. He was already stepping from the mosaic as the dark forms collapsed in twitching, bleeding heaps. Laughing to himself, he let the sword go, though he held on to Sidene, to the raging power, the sweetness, and the taint. Contempt slid along the outside of the void. Dogs. Shadow spawn, certainly, but still just... His laughter died. Slowly, the dead dogs in their heads were melting, settling into pools of liquid shadow that quivered slightly, as if alive. Their blood fanned across the floor trembled. Suddenly, the smaller pools flowed across the floor in viscous streams to merge with the larger, which oozed away from the mosaic to mount higher and higher, until the three black, huge dogs stood there once more, slavering and snarling as they gathered massive haunches under them. Yeah, those are... Sorry, the chat got distracted with questioning when Rand is going to be having uh, igloo sex with Avienda. So, apparently that's chapter 31. <laughs> not too far away. And the, the que- and you can always know whether or not Rand has lost his virginity as to whether or not he's ca- carrying around a penis, I mean spear, in his hand carved with dragons. It's, uh, it's basically the... It's the dragon dick, basically. Because <laughs> it is. It's like a cut-off short spear. It's like, what, like a foot long? It's a scepter. Yeah, it's a scepter. Traditional symbol of power. Totally. For beating your enemies with. But also, you know. There's maybe a reason. Especially in ancient societies, yeah, it was used to represent dominance and masculinity, usually. But the fact that he literally gets it when he loses his virginity is just too much of a coincidence. <laughs> Radius said he sheathed his sword. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> Land taught him how to do it. Just... <laughs> So, anyway, getting back to the chapter and the nice long read you just did, uh, we have dark dark hounds showing up. And these, as far as we can tell from Lanfear's later uh, soliloquy, these are sent by Ravine. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I was wondering about that really specifically because we saw in the prologue, Lanfear gets together with Ravine, Samael, Grandal, and herself— and we know that the, well, at least she tells them that she has a plan to get Rand to move over to the shadow. Right. And it seems weird that it, they would come from Ravine. Well, I should say this a little differently. I wonder what the actual purpose of this attack was. I guess is I suspect that there's some subterfuge happen, happening here, but I don't understand. I don't know what happened or why. Do you, because Lanfear shows up in a, a little little while in a minute here. So yeah, and her explanation is that when Rand sent essentially humanitarian aid into Kyrian, Ravine, right. you know, he's got Camelin under his control. He has Morgase. His next goal is to take Morgase and her claim. Uh, to the Kyrian throne, which is how Elaine ends up taking it, and basically u- taking the throne of Kyrian and using her to take over both countries. And right. so his next step is to step into Kyrian and take it over. And he sees Rand sending forces up from Tyr to give humanitarian aid as a threat to him stepping into Kyrian and taking it over. 
And so what he sees is, hey, we're in this direct conflict where your soldiers are entering the, entering the same country that I'm trying to take over. And so normally I'd be fine to sit aside and gather power, but you're threatening me. Therefore, I'm sending dark hounds after you. That's Lanfear's explanation, and it sounds pretty accurate as far as I can tell. Like, I really can't poke any holes in it. It does sound plausible, yeah. yes, and I, I can't figure out for what other reason they would bother attacking Rand mm -hmm. or Ravine personally. And, and I, you know, they could be sent by, you know, there's a couple of times where, like, I think, in particular, uh, Matt's girlfriend, the black friend Aiel. Dark friend. Woman, dark friend Aiel. Melindra. Uh, Melindra, yes. She is, I think she's actually not working, even though she has the, the bees, seven, the nine bees on her hilt and dagger that looks like she's working for Samuel. I think she's actually a dark friend for Ravine. I don't remember exactly what that thing is, but they, they often, yes. a lot of times they will make the attack look like it's coming from a different Forsaken so that if Rand seeks vengeance, he goes after someone else. Yeah, we talked about this specifically uh, some at some point recently, maybe when we were introduced to Melindra. Yeah, I always just assumed that was Ravine making it look like Samuel sent an attacker so that Rand will go after him first rather than Ravine. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's my guess as well. Um, but these Dark Hounds are pretty, they're not like, they don't have like sigils or anything. They're just Dark Hounds. They yeah. seem like just an assassination force. And we know they go after Rand and Matt, which we'll see in a moment. Right. And this is the first of two times that Matt saves, or sorry, Rand saves Matt's life from Ravine with Balefire. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I didn't think of it that way. And they, they reform and attack again, and he just, like, slashes at them with a wave of Balefire and, you know, removes them from the pattern. Burns their threads. And just then, Moraine says, did any of them bite you or bleed on you? And he spins around. We've talked a little bit how there's two types of Dark Hounds. There seems to be the kind that can be taken out with physical weapons, right? There's the parent takes one out with, or appears to take one out with arrows. Yes. Um, and we see, you know, just... This idea that there are some dark hounds that can die from regular arrows, but Rand turns these into mincemeat and they just flow right back together. So these seem to be a either an upgraded or a more advanced or just like just a different kind of of dark hound. We see Rand thinking in a moment about old legends. Let's see the tales he had heard said dark hounds ran the night in the wild hunt with the dark one himself as the hunter. They left no print even on the softest dirt, only stone. They would not stop until you faced and defeated them or put running water between you. Um, crossroads were supposed to be a particularly dangerous places to meet them, and the time just after sunset or before sunrise. And I don't know if that's ever confirmed, but that makes me wonder if there's only one type of dark hound, and it depends on where they are, what they're doing, what time it is. I, I always assumed that was pretty mythical, that, that most of that is just, like, legend and bullshit. I, th I thought at least... Uh, at least a lot of it is, yeah. But of course, the last sentence is, he had seen enough old stories walking by now to believe any of it could be true. So Sure. Yeah, tough, tough, tough to say. If there's two different types, or if they're... Um, I'm looking at what uh, Aradia's saying. He's standing between dark and light, ultimate crossroads, as he stands on the mosaic. Mm -hmm. It's also interesting to, I guess, at least note that the... 
when the dark hounds are like liquefied after he kills them, they flow away from the seal and reform away from the crossroads and reform on the outside of it. Like they're averse to being on the sign itself, which I don't know if that's supposed to mean anything or not either. <laughs> or maybe they're just retreating a little. And it is the middle of the night, which could make a big difference in terms of their power. Yeah. They could be more powerful now. You know, I think when, when Perrin and was shooting arrows when the whole group, when Moraine ended up bail firing that group. So certainly bail fire works and is the most reliable thing against dark hounds, but maybe that group was attacking during the day. And so they are more susceptible to regular human arrows. That would explain the difference. We've also speculated the difference is like, because we know dark hounds are converted wolves and we talked a little bit, you know, again, in pure speculation, that maybe Slayer has something to do with converting them, and therefore he, like... Collects them. Yeah, or there's yeah. something weird like that, yeah. But we do know that, like, uh, a dark hound who has been... Uh, a wolf that has been killed by dark hounds turns into a dark hound. Was there any... Did we want to talk about what Moraine said at all? She just mentions a drop on the skin can kill slowly with a great deal of pain at the end, which is what she heals Matt from. Right a little bit of foreshadowing even within the chapter she's also trying to warn rand about balefire but that's the beginning of my my read we must speak of what you used to kill them moraine began but he was already running as hard as he could because she gives him a hint oh moraine says that you were really lucky that there was only three of them they usually hunt in packs of 10 or a dozen or so and then Matt realizes, or Rand realizes that there probably was a whole pack and only three of them were sent to distract him. Which makes me think that maybe he wasn't the actual target. If they only sent three after him and they sent, I don't know, a lot more after Matt. Trying to kill Matt? Yeah. In a more serious way? Like, three to distract Rand and a group to assassinate Matt while Rand is busy. I I like it. I think that's plausible. Also, if the goal amongst those four Forsaken I mentioned earlier, Samael Grendel, Ravine, and Lanfear, if the idea is to drive Rand to the shadow, killing Matt, I think, would be an excellent first step at destroying Rand. Right. And, and they talk about cutting the, you know, if you cut one leg out of the tripod, the stool falls over type thing. Yeah. You know, it's if you can take out one of his two support folks you come a long way towards succeeding in the dark one's goals without killing rand which is you know clearly not always in the dark one's interest uh anyway i'll actually start the read now <laughs> we must speak of what you used to kill them moraine began but he was already running as hard as he could ignoring her cries to know where he was going and why down flights of stairs through darkened corridors where sleepy maiden maidens roused by the pounding of boots, peered at him in consternation from moonlit rooms. Through the front doors, where Land stood restlessly with the two women on guard, his color shifting warder's cloak about his shoulders, making parts of him seem to blend into the night. Where is Moraine? he shouted as Rand dashed by, but Rand leapt down the broad steps two at a time without replying. Shouldn't he be able to know that from his warder bond? I guess it's more just like he, he knows she's up there. Why are you running without her? Yeah, why Why didn't she follow? 
The half-healed wound in his side clenched like a fist, pain he was only vaguely aware of inside the void by the time he reached the building he sought. It stood at the very edge of Ruidian, far from the plaza, as far from the camp Moraine shared with the wise ones as it was possible to be and remain in the city. The upper floors had collapsed in a mound of rubble that fanned out onto the cracked earth beyond the pavement. Only the bottom two floors remained whole. Refusing his body's effort to hunch over around the pane, he went in, still at a dead run. Once the great antechamber, encircled by a stone balcony, had been tall, now it was taller, open to the night sky, its pale stone floor strewn with rubble from the collapse. In the moon shadows beneath the balcony, three darkhounds were up on their hind legs, clawing and chewing at a bronze-clad door that shivered under their assault. The smell of burned sulfur hung, hung strong in the air. Remembering what had happened before, Rand darted to one side as he channeled, the shaft of liquid white fire streaking by the door as it destroyed the shadow spawn. He had tried to make it less this time, to confine the destruction to the dark hounds, but the thick wall at the far end of the chamber had a shadowed hole in it, not all the way through, he thought. It was hard to tell by moonlight, but he would have to find his control of this weapon. The bronze sheathing on the door was tattered and torn, as though the teeth and toenails of the dark hounds really had been steel. Lamplight shone through a number of small holes. There were paw prints on the floor stones, but surprisingly few. Releasing Sidene, he found a place where he would not cut his hands to shreds and pounded on the door. Suddenly the pain in his side was very real and present. He took a deep breath and tried to thrust it away. Matt, it's me, Rand. Open up, Matt. After a moment, the door opened a crack, letting out a spill of lamplight. Matt peered through doubtfully, then pulled the door wider, leaning against it, as if he had run ten miles carrying a sack of rocks. Except for a silver foxhead medallion hanging around his neck, its eyes shaped and shaded like the ancient Aes Sedai symbol, he was naked. The way Matt felt about Aes Sedai, Rand was surprised he had not sold the thing long since. Deeper in the room, a tall, golden-haired woman was calmly wrapping a blanket around herself, a maiden by the spears and buckler lying at her feet. Rand hastily averted his eyes and cleared his throat. I just wanted to make sure you're all right. We're fine. Uneasily, Matt looked around the antechamber. Now we are. You killed it. Or something? I don't want to know what it was, as long as it's gone. It's bloody hard on a man sometimes being your friend. Not only a friend. Another Tavarin, and perhaps a key to victory in Tarmangaidon. Anyone who wanted to strike at Rand had reason to strike at Matt as well. But Matt always tried to deny both things. They're gone, Matt. Darkhounds. Three of them. I told you I don't want to know, Matt groaned. <laughs> the guy, I don't know I was nearly killed by Darkhounds. I don't want to know what the fuck just happened. That's so typical, Matt. Um, Matt also says, uh, I highlighted, if I hadn't been on my feet for a drink of wine when the door started to open, dot, 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 he trailed off, shivering. Lucky. Yeah. Very lucky. So we see the half-healed wound in Rand's side clenching, and he hasn't physically really exerted himself. I mean, I guess he ran down to Matt's hotel but it's not like the fight was really that crazy he pretty much cut them to pieces and then burned them with the power right like it wasn't an extended fight and it wasn't an extended run and yet still that wound in the side is clenching and i have to assume it's somehow the corruption of the dark hounds which is resonating 
Yeah, it could have to do with a, a resonance factor or just that he filled himself up with the power using the Siddhartha Angriel, as I like to call it. The little fat man with a sword. Have we established whether or not being near taints or or Mashadar or anything like that can can fire it up too? I don't think Mashadar does. I don't think Shadow Loga. Not until you know he gets slashed by Fane. Uh, but you know, I, I honestly think it's just it's just exposure to the Dark One's taint more so than any of yeah, the other. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So I have to assume it's just the corrupted Dark Hounds. It does make me wonder if it could have to do with the Dark Hounds, but I think it's probably just the channeling. Oh, I assume it's the Dark Hounds. Yeah. Does anyone want to yeah. chime in? Could be either or both. Moraine arrives, uh, holding up her skirts and sprinting and lands right behind her. <laughs> For a small woman, she sure can move when she needs to. Short little legs are... <laughs> <laughs> Moraine arrives, like I said, land right behind her, and Matt starts talking about how his arm itches like fire, like poison ivy or something. And Moraine rushes over to him and tries to heal him. And Matcha says, bloody thing's cold as ice all of a sudden, he muttered. What are you doing, Moraine? If you want to do something, heal this itch. It's my whole arm now. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> His right arm was red from wrist to shoulder and had begun to look puffy. Moraine stares at him with a startled expression Rand had never seen on her face. Maybe the only one. I will, she said slowly. If the medallion is cold, take it off. And Matt does, and then the healing works, and he yells some more. But she, uh, clearly the first time she's ever encountered anything like that. Uh, so this, I feel like we get a couple of clues here when Matt's memories basically tell him, hey, you got bitten and slobbered on, and that's a bad thing, even though he's only got like a drop of saliva on his arm. Yes. Uh, he says, when I was putting everything I had in holding the door shut, I could have sworn one of them had chewed a hole right through it. I could see its bloody head and its teeth. Melinda's spear didn't even phase it. That line, I mean, that's it stuck his whole head through the door. It got stabbed with a spear. Matt got bit. Like, it was a whole big thing. Yes. But Rand bailfired it and probably saved his life. Because... Totally. Rand brought it the timeline of the dark hound back far enough that it maybe only a little slobber dropped on his arm rather than a full on bite or something. And, and Moraine states just in the early, earlier scene, like, did you get bit? Because if you did not even my healing would be fat. You'd, you'd be dead instantly. Even if I was standing right there, you'd still die. Like I couldn't have healed you fast enough. Right. So my, my bet is that Matt was either dead or seconds away for di from dying. One of the many times in which he dies. <laughs> That's, you know, th that is a good question. You know, I, I don't think he ever died, but could his connection with the Horn of Valir have been severed in this scene? If he had died from the Dark Hound slobber? I don't think so, because his body would have to die. So even... Like, in the battle with Ravine, Matt dies, and then Rand slams Ravine with uh, such a huge bout, or gout, or whatever you want to call that, of Balefire, that it reverses time by quite a while. You know what I mean? 
So Matt is back alive and does not remember dying. That's yeah, that's a good point. He doesn't remember dying. I think Rand just rewound time long enough that the damage was not so bad that Matt dies. Although I think if Moraine did nothing, he still would have died. Yes, it would have taken a long time, but she says even a drop of saliva can cause you to die. And it's a long, slow, agonizing death without Aes Sedai healing. Moraine hears his complaint about his arm itching while Matt's complaining loudly, and she rushes over and just grabs his head and tries to heal him. And Matt's just like, ah, my, the medallion's colder than anything right now. And he's like, aren't you going to heal me, though? And she just stares at him, and she says, If it's cold, why don't you take it off? Matt frowned at her, then finally pulled it over his head and laid it beside him. Then she takes his head again, and the healing works. Which, I mean, obviously we know from all the lore about the medallion is that basically she tried to channel and the flows just fell apart. And in response to that, the medallion got cold. So that's the first time that either of them realizes the medallion... What it does. What it does, yeah. yeah. And that's... He thinks back on it and figures it out later, but this scene does end up cluing him in to what the medallion actually does. And she realizes immediately. Because, you know, Moraine knows. Yeah. She's smart. Um, This is actually one of the few times that Matt actually ever gets healed, now that I think about it. He avoids healing frequently. He hates it. He hates it. And, like... (laughs) This is once he realizes what the medallion does, like he suffers a lot of wounds and stitches, you know, what is it? Narum stitches him up as often as he stitches up his cloaks, right? Even though he's <laughs> access to healing, uh, he doesn't use it. Blood and ashes. Does it have to be that flaming way every flaming time? It was just a bloody itch. <laughs> Matt says after he was healed. <laughs> you watch your tongue with me. <laughs> I, I, and I'd also like to agree with Sakan here. Like, Moraine acting visibly surprised is the same as everyone else being like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She looks surprised. Like, that's such a big deal for Moraine to look that way. <laughs> Thank you. Is that a Talmanis quote, Sakan? My lord is not a side of beef. Thank you, my lord, for pointing that out to me. <laughs> Naram? Naram, yeah, totally. <laughs> His, uh... What, is, what does he call him? I was going to say groomsman, but that, that would be for the horses. Oh, manservant. Manservant, yeah. that's right. My lord is not a side of beef. Noted. <laughs> uh, and he's always like, do you have to get blood on all of your clothes? You know how hard blood is to wash out? <laughs> it's just you know just uh just a suggestion maybe don't bleed so much oh nin says reminds me of the guy from fresh prince jeffrey the butler he's a great character just a little bit of that sarcasm thrown in while helping out (laughs) jeffrey's maybe jeffrey has more than a little bit of sarcasm thrown in there but i haven't watched fresh prince in years i just pulled that like easily Jeffrey, of course. <laughs> of course. That's actually pretty damn impressive. I mean, I watched a lot of French prints, but I would not have pulled that up out of memory. 
oh, I watched Fresh Prince every day for, I think it would be five days a week when it was aired. Gosh, I don't remember on which network here in the States, but it, it would air like, I think Full House came on and then Family Matters and then Fresh Prince. There was a couple more that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but it was a whole lineup that was that was awesome. That's right, Obscura is on TV after school. I see they did the same thing in Australia. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, moving forward here. Can you hear me? Okay. Melindra turns to Moraine and goes, he's my little mischief maker now, and like ruffles his hair. And I couldn't help but think like, oh, Loki, the, mis- the mischief maker. The, yes. After he goes to the doorway, he comes. <laughs> he goes in as a farm boy, and he comes out as Loki. He's my little. He's my little mischief maker now. From the horrified look on Matt's face, he was gathering his strength to run. <laughs> Rand became aware of soft, amused chuckles behind him. The maidens, shufas and veils around their shoulders now, had crowded around and were peering into the room. Teach him to sing, spear sister, Adela said, and the other maidens crowed with laughter. <laughs> this has happened before. The we all I- know Aiel men don't sing. Right. Unless... <laughs> unless, uh... Unless they're making certain noises. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. no nicer way to say that. <laughs> no, no. Then they might be a-singing. Spoilers. <laughs> I think Christini's having a sudden realization. Yeah, teach him to sing. Because <laughs> they, you know, they, everybody wasn't aware that they were hooking up. And this might be, it's one of their first nights together. So they haven't, you know, it may not be well known at this point. But when all the maidens there and they look into the room, they're like, oh, <laughs> I see what was happening there. Matt and Melindra are both naked. Matt's like, has managed to drag his pants on. And Melindra's just standing there in a with a blanket wrapped around her. I'm gonna say she managed to drag her shufa on, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot going on between like the maidens and the joking and the like. The car Karn is not a wetlander king, like that sort of typical banter where he like tells them to do something and they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think Matt asks, or uh, rather, Rand asks the maidens to like go ahead and go back to their roof, and they just don't. They just continue standing around there. And at some point, Matt says, or God, I keep doing that. At some point, Rand says, do you think this is a joke or just decide to go in your own good time? And Adelin, who's one of the elder spear sisters, she seems to be like a, you know, a leader amongst them. Uh, it's hard to um, find uh, parallels with ranks, but uh, in any case, she says, she responds, we will go as you direct, but this is not the dance besides. And she says, you, you didn't really give us the order. You just kind of suggested maybe this would be a good idea, is what she's saying. And she's also saying, like, yeah, we'll follow you in battle, but this <laughs> isn't battle. <laughs> so, chill out. Even the Karakarn is not a wetlander king, a gray-haired maiden said. So they take off, and you're left with Moraine and Lan 
And Moraine's like, I gotta talk to you about something. And basically, I think she wants to talk to him about the bale fire, not yeah. the medallion. It's what she's been trying to get at. Yeah. But he noticed the medallion, and he's like, I'm not gonna help you get it off. Oh, uh, Rand is, insists at some point, mm-hmm. if you think I'll help you get that fox head away from Matt, you can think again. He paid a hard price for it, Moraine, and it is his. My I, my phone keeps going to sleep and then disconnecting me. Ah. And then uh, kind of toward the end, Rand is being dismissive. He's like, we'll talk about it tomorrow. It's the middle of the night. I'm not doing this right now, and I'm not giving you the thing that Matt has. I'm not going to help you do that, so just forget it, which isn't what she's talking about at all. And he's just misunderstanding. And then, please, Rand, Moraine said. And the open pleading in her voice halted him in his tracks. He had never heard anything like that from her before. The tone seemed to offend Lan, and he says, I thought you had become a man, the warder said harshly. Is this how a man behaves? You act more like an arrogant boy. Lan practiced the sword with him, and liked him, Rand thought. But if Moraine said the right word, the warder would do his best to kill him. I will not be with you forever, Moraine said urgently. I just marked that little part to read. Reiterates what we were talking about, I believe, in the previous chapter, or in the chapters that we've recorded around here. Forgive me if that's not quite right. It pops in and out on the various chapters. Yeah, that Moraine believes that any day now she may die a forever death. Not just go to a different place, but be dead forever. It's it's a strong possibility. And the anxiety bleeds through in these these scenes at, at the beginning of this book. She knows what's about to happen. And she she wants to warn him about these really critical things, like, don't just go using Balefire willy-nilly. You could destroy everything, and then there will be nothing to save. But he won't listen. You can't always, yeah. And, and you can never impart all of your knowledge to somebody. Yeah, she's just trying to get as much through now because she knows she's about to go. Yeah, and I think he talks about that, how she's, like, cramming things into his head as much as possible. She's just constantly, like, behind him and lecturing and being like, all right, here's how you deal with nobles, here's how you deal with, you know, politics, here's how you deal with the the game of houses, here's all the stuff, you know, various rules, and she has so much to tell him. And later he is, like, very happy. He's like, oh, thank God for all the information she put into my head, otherwise I wouldn't be able to deal with these kings and nobles as well as I do, but at the same time, like... Yeah. I think it's a little annoying. I mean, what what 20-year-old wants to be lectured day in and day out, right? Like, nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Forget being 20. Yeah, everyone hates right, that. Right, right, right. And then we, we start, Rand starts up this old argument again, where he's like, it's hard to trust you, Moraine. You've handled me like a puppet, made me dance the way, way you wanted. And Moraine's like, dance the way you want? Dance the way I wanted? It's been more like wrestling a bear than pulling strings on a puppet. And she was like, do you want an oath that I won't try manipulating you? Here you go. <laughs> She's like, just listen. <laughs> Please. Because let's be honest. If he did what she wanted, they'd be in the White Tower right now. That's true. Not a good place to be. Right now. Or ever. No. Ever. Not for Rand, anyway. Not until Egwene purges the, the tower. And not for and Moraine. Then, that's a good point too. Yeah, she she may have been stilled right along with Suan. They knew I think her, so. her part and everything. Yeah, totally. Because uh, Elida knows that she's a part of it. It's just that Moraine never comes back to the tower. Right. She never really comes back from the waste. Yeah. Sniff. 
I even swear to obey you like one of the maidens, like one of the guy Shane, if you require, but you must. Taking a deep breath, she began again more softly. I ask you humbly to allow me to help you. Lan was staring at her, and Rand thought his own eyes must be popping out of his head. I will accept your help, he said slowly, and I apologize too for all the rudeness I've shown. And then, finally, Moraine gets to do her explanation. She's saying, what you used to kill the bale, what, what you used to kill the dark hounds is called balefire. She's like, I can still sense it. I know that's what it was. And then she explains that since before the breaking of the world, that this has been anathema. You, we don't do channelers do not do this. She's like, even the forsaken don't use this. And yet she's used it at least twice that I can think of. <laughs> right. Rand says, forbidden. I saw you use it once. And Moraine simply says, sometimes it's necessary to do that, which is forbidden. Which, I mean, Moraine did exactly what he just did, right? She killed Darkhounds with, with Balefire. Balefire, totally. Oh, and she killed... Bilal. Bilal, thank you. Yeah, I, actually, I made sure to write that down in my notes to be like, she killed Bilal. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would come up. And so she can knock somebody back a few seconds at most, but with his power, you know, especially we see later when he takes out Ravine, is minutes to maybe nearly an hour. Yes. And Moraine also, she gets at that a bit. And she also says, if you were holding Kalendor, you could wipe a city off the map for a way before when, it, when you actually strike it. She's saying, and you can't just do that. She, she ex goes on to explain why you can't just use Balefire like that. And we see very real consequences of the use of Balefire. We see a Balefire scream that happens before he takes out Natrum's Barrow. We actually see the flattening of the world, which is just crazy. That's the Balefire scream. We see the black cracks that are slowly destroying the pattern. And essentially, the use of Balefire is what kills Egwene in the end, because she has to counteract that through the Flame of Tarvalin. Yes. You know, so like... Really, if, if you want to talk about, like, the one thing that really... I mean, who's the only main Two Rivers character who really dies? It's Egwene. And what kills her? Balefire. So, you know, it's a legit mor warning. And, and of course, we, yeah, at the end of this book, we see the, the most drastic effect of Balefire, which is the, I mean, the return of Avienda, Asmodian, and Matt plus a whole bunch of other people to life through the bale firing of Ravine. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should, too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
That's joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And then Rand simply declares, I have to check on, he went on, I have to check on someone, he went on quietly, I will see you in the morning. Gathering the power into him, life and death in swirling layers, he made a hole in the air taller than he was, opening into the blackness that made the moonlight seem like day. A gateway, as Modian called it. What is that? Moraine gasped. Once I've done something, I remember how, most of the time. He knows that's not an answer. But Rand just made a gateway, and no one has made a gateway ever in the world since, I mean, the Forsaken, I'm sure have, but for thousands of years, no one knew how to do this. Well, and in his various fights with the Forsaken, hasn't he, like, he observed Asmodian creating a gateway? He saw the the residue of that weaves, those weaves. Yes, and then he doesn't, doesn't he, like, grab it and hold it open or something like yeah, that? Yeah, totally. So he he learns it, basically. Perhaps. He sees the result. He doesn't necessarily see it being woven. He's definitely woven a gateway to skimming. He's, he's, so he's figured out how to do a skimming gateway when he was chasing Asmodian into the waste. And oh, I think yes, that's where he says, that's where I've done this once before. Didn't he do it in... Wait a minute. Did he do it in book one? No, no, uh, no, no, no. That was in the dream. Yeah, there's the, he's definitely like gone into the dream before, but I f- I'm not sure if in in the flesh. I'm not sure if he's done that. I'm trying to remember the last time he went and in, went into the dream in the flesh. I'm thinking of in the fight with Ishmael in book one. Oh, where he, there's like at the, the end. yeah, but that, I feel like that's Ishmael pulling him into a dream shard. Yeah, it's a confusing scene where it's hard to yeah. say what's in the dream and what isn't. And certainly book. 
two is also in the dream, but that has a lot to do with the blowing of the horn, where it sort of brings Teleron Riyadh into the real world. And he like climbs the staircase in the smoke to fight in the clouds. Um, and then book three is very much the real world, even though, well, oh, isn't, no, book three, that's where it is, because at the end of book three, uh, Moraine Bale fires Bilal, and then Ran grabs Kalandor, and Ishmael flees into Teleron Riyadh, and Ran creates a gateway to Teleron Riyadh to chase him. But he has Kalandor, which makes him a little crazy. Yes. And in any case, Ran can now at will skim, as opposed to proper traveling, which is a little bit more complex. Right. Can he go into the world of dreams in the flesh at will, or is that still something that he hasn't figured out yet long-term? I think, I mean, with the, the weaves that he knows, he could. I don't know that he would know to do that, though. I don't know that he understands that the world of dreams is a place that you can go to out when you're not asleep. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I don't think he has a very good understanding of that yet. Uh, and then my other question is, where do you think the original idea for creating a skimming gateway came from? Do you think that's all LTT and madness coming out and some of his first channeling? Or is that the talent of someone who's just has a lot of power? And as we see with like Nynaeve and a few of the other characters, they're able to spontaneously basically invent powerful weaves on the spot. Like we've seen that a few times with Nynaeve where she just comes up with things. Uh, we see it with Avienda. Avienda creates a gateway on pure instinct. A proper gateway, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when I say proper gateway, I mean for traveling, not for... Not um, skimming. Yeah. Which is, skimming is kind of the shorthand of traveling. But to answer your question, I guess I, I have to say I'm not sure. And I don't think Rand fully understands what he's doing. We do see here Rand stepped through the gateway and it vanished. And after that, he we see that him um, kind of recounting to himself a conversation he had with Asmodian about it, where Asmodian said, like, yeah, that's a thing and there's a faster way, but I can't show you how to do it with how little power I have to use, which I frankly believe. Absolutely. And we've also talked about how, you know, possibly skimming is just moving through Teleron Riyadh, basically entering the world of dreams in the flesh, just a void area of it, because like you control with your mind, you create the step, like all that kind of stuff. The traveling is very similar. And so maybe the weave for skimming and the weave for going into the Teleron Riyadh in the flesh are closer to the weave for creating a gateway. But they all seem very close, just with with small alterations between them. Yeah. Rand makes the gateway, jumps on the disc, which is currently in the shape of the Aes Sedai symbol, or the ancient Aes Sedai symbol, the black and white. And he's heading to check on Asmodian, so he's just going a couple of thousand yards, maybe? Yeah. He's thinking that Asmodian may have been attacked as well. Or an attempted assassination on Asmodian, as well as Matt and himself. Mm -hmm. And he's also checking on the Choden Cal. And when Rand arrives, uh, he sees footprints of three or four Darkhounds 
that had been outside of the doorway, but the shadow spawn did not, it looks like, try to enter? Or, yeah, he's confused about what happened. He can see their footprints leading up to the doorway, but then they're gone. Um, and he's wondering if his ward on the room destroyed them. I always thought it was more like they just weren't that interested in Asmodian. And the ward was enough to just keep them out. Yeah, I don't know. We know it's meant to keep out any man who can channel. Or keep in men who can channel, in this case. I don't know enough about it to make a call on this. I don't understand what happened to the dark friend, the dark hounds here. I just th- I think they had a different goal. I just don't think he was there. <laughs> in any case, uh, Rand uses weaves of earth to remove the footprints because he doesn't want anyone to question why the dark hounds would have been interested in Asmodian at all. Which is a cool use of the one power, by the way, to make the footprints like pop back out again in stone. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I like that too. He lifted up the compressions. Like, I don't know. That that was always like a really cool use of, of you know, I, I feel like we don't, we see a lot of use of the fire. We see a lot of use of spirit. We see a lot of use of um, air. But I feel like water and earth don't get used quite as much. And so I like to see earth especially in these situations. So Rand is checking on the hidden Choden call that he has hidden behind a false wall made out of the power. And the next thing I have is Lanfear showing up as he's alone there in the room. Yep, that's me too. I mean, he we, he has the flashback and thinks about the little girl that he, you know, and his, his experience with Kalindor. Right. And we talked about how that's, you know, Kalindor makes him a little more insane and makes him think he can do things he can't actually do. Yeah. What are you doing there? A woman's voice said as the wall became apparently whole again. Rand just re-hid the Choden call. Tying off she, the flows. She clearly saw both. Yeah, I yeah, I think she did. Tying off the flows hastily and the knot with its own deadly surprises, he pulled the power into him and turned. Beside Lanfear, in her white and silver, Elaine or Min or Avienda would look almost ordinary. Her dark eyes alone were enough to make a man give up his soul. At the sight of her, his stomach clenched until he wanted to vomit. What do you want? he demanded. Once, he had blocked Egwene and Elaine both from the true source, but he could not remember how. So long as Lanfear could touch the source, he had more chance of catching the wind in his hands than of holding her prisoner. One flash of balefire and... he couldn't do it. She was one of the forsaken, but the memory of a woman's head rolling on the ground stopped him dead. You have two of them, she said finally. I thought I glimpsed one as a woman, isn't it? Her smile could have halted a man's heart and made him grateful. You are beginning to consider my plan, aren't you? With those together, with the, ch- the, ch- the other chosen will kneel at our feet. We can supplant the great lord himself, challenge the creator. We, you were always ambitious, Marin. His voice grated in his ears. Why do you think I turned away from you? It wasn't Ileana, whatever you like to think. You were out of my heart long before I ever met her. Ambition is all there is to you. Power is all you ever wanted. You disgust me. She stared at him, both hands pressed hard against her stomach, her dark eyes even larger than usual. Grandel said, she began finally, swallowing. She began, Luce Theron? 
I love you, Luce Theron. I have always loved you, and I always will. You know that. You must. Rand's face was like rock. He hoped it hid his shock. He had no idea where his words had come from, but it seemed he could remember her. A dim memory from before. I am not Luz Theron Telamon. I'm Rand Althor, he said harshly. Of course you are. Studying him, she nodded slowly to herself. That cool composure returned. Thought I'd leave that there. So I just want to state that I think the memory of the woman's head rolling is the caravan. Remember when he killed the yep. dark friends with the gray man hiding among them uh, yeah. in book two? Or no, that was book three, the dragon reborn. That's right. He beheads each of them. Right. One and being a woman. And that's when he's really, really in the clutches of, I think we called it mostly stress uh, insanity more so than taint and uh, insanity. But Man, that was a rough time for him. Yeah, I like this. Lumen is saying the irony is that in all these scenes, he is LTT, no matter how much he rejects it. And I agree with that. He is LTT. Absolutely. It's He's the same soul. He's just in a new body. And he has a new mind that's been raised by a different, you know, raised by Tamil Thor. And, and Rand is different in that way. And he, he even says it. He's like, it was me. The only difference is this time I was raised better. <laughs> yeah and that's that's an important difference but it, he's still the same person and you know i always say matt's an example of someone who acquires other people's memories but still stays the same person rand acquires ltt's memories but he has an insane man in his head who's not actually real i agree the memories are just starting to bleed through memories, which he's no one is ever supposed to have or get. Mm -hmm. He's just because of the, the taint. Yeah. Well, and that's what makes him the dragon reborn, right? As opposed to just some hero, right? He gets the memories of LTT. Yes. And once um, he fully integrates the memories of LTT, he stops calling himself the dragon reborn and just starts calling himself the dragon. And I feel like it's important here to point out that in that scene in the prologue that I was referencing earlier in this episode, the when we see the four Forsaken discussing Randall Thor, we even see one of them say, and I can't remember which one, that he's Luz Theron Telamon Reborn, not just the dragon. Who knows what that means? Or something along those lines. I, th that, I think that was Grendel. But the implication being that this has never happened before. There's a dragon every turning, but the dragon is different usually. This time, it's not. It's the same dragon. Back to finish what he didn't finish. Essentially. Totally. Totally. And so Lanfear is like, oh, you're considering my plan. And he's like, no, I'm going to cleanse the source, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> I, I, and that's where the the memories really come forward where he starts calling her mirin and he's like his voice gets a little deeper it grates in his ears like that's really where this this intense memory from being lewis theron comes through and he almost responds the way lewis theron would i gotta say it is very satisfying to watch Rand just dress her down in that scene like uh <laughs> like new recruit that's not getting anything right she's just like yeah your your ambition is all that you have it's all that you are 
and that's why I don't want you. It's not because some. It's not because Ileana got in the way. It's because you're a bad person. <laughs> it's like when someone's like, "You just dumped me for your new new girlfriend." And you're like, "Dude, I dumped you long before I met her. Like, we were done. <laughs> like, yes. I have no idea what you're talking about." Like. But of course, she has motivated reasoning where she's like, oh, well, you can't actually remember that, right? You can't actually be LTT. You're not. So therefore, these yeah. must, this must be word of mouth as Modian's telling you stories and you're just making this up to get in my head. And it's just like the ultimate motivated reasoning. I love it. It's such a good like. Yeah, she tries to justify that it wasn't really him saying that he's just. Yeah, he's just angry and saying what he thinks will hurt her. And that's her way of soothing herself, I think. Because she wouldn't want to believe that Luz Theron actually thought that. Although, he did, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Oh, uh, good follow-up from Cody uh, showing us the scene that, that Rand actually does learn the gateway to... Oh, yes the gateway to Teleron Riyadh from Ravine. Yeah. Is that later in this book? This is just reading off my yeah. screen. So he still doesn't know quite how to get to Teleron Riyadh in the flesh. He's learned how to skim. Yeah. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to bring it up again. Is Rand a dreamer that never gets trained? That was always my assumption. Yeah. Is that, 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 you know, they, they talk about how Lewis Theron was never quite as good as anyone else in the dream. But that clearly makes me think that he at least was a dreamer. Even though the fact that Rand, like, mostly goes there in the flesh. And I think we see a lot more of Rand as a dreamer before he learns to ward his dreams. Once he wards his dreams, he seals himself in and the dreams out. And so he basically stops having uh, prophetic dreams or accidentally dreamwalking at that point because he uses the one power to stop that from happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, actually. But but before then, we see all sorts of scenes with him and, and Ishmael in the dream. And there may be some parallels there, too, because, you know, we know that those two are connected, and Ishmael, we know, is a dreamwalker. And especially later, once they're reborn as Mor- he's reborn as Moradin, and they do the whole crossing of the streams thing, they, you know, really do share a lot of abilities including dreamwalking. Oh, good point. I also, you know, I, th- I often wonder how much of Rand's mood changes and stuff are actually m- Moradin's. I think quite a bit. Yeah. They catch each other's moods accidentally and don't know that it's that's what's happening. In a lot of the same way that I think Brigida and Elaine mirror each other's moods. Oh, good point. Good, good point. I think there's a lot to be said for the Warder Bond does something to sort of merge threads together or at least tie them together in the same way that crossing the streams may have done something to merge Ishmael and Rand's threads together. But it, it, it's different. At least in it's a different. similar way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a parallel type thing. They're not exactly the same. There's a lot of different rules, but there is that sort of connecting of threads that you know what happens to you also happens to me i stab my hand you feel that pain i told you not to harm him <laughs> exactly <All that. laughs> <laughs> meanwhile he's like flexing flexing his hand being like ah it hurts it hurts <laughs> yep <laughs> 
And also part of the reason that Rand is able to be like, well, whatever, I lost a hand, it's no big deal, is it's not really his hand. He almost feels more at home in Morden's body at that point. And I wonder how much he can actually feel Morden's hand, and so he doesn't even like, it doesn't really even feel like he's lost a hand to him. But Rand is different by then, and he loses his hand, is healed, so he's not just bleeding out. And obviously he doesn't get his hand back. And his, isn't like the first thing he says, like, huh, I'll have to learn a sword fight with my left, I guess. Like, he's he's so, like, removed from the situation, you know? He's not mourning the loss of his hand at all. He He's just... No. And, and you can, again, argue how much of that's PTSD, how much of that's, like, continuous stress, how much of that is the, the insanity that he's dealing with, and how much of it is the fact that he's not yeah. physically inhabiting his own body. And I mean that in the most literal sense. And the, the shock of getting your hand blown off. Uh, you know, they, they say, and it's true, that in a situations where there's a serious accident and someone is very injured, it's usually the person who is very injured who's the calmest about the whole situation. And it's because shock. Because your your brain does that awesome thing where... In really critical moments, when you're in a lot of pain, you think very clearly. It's interesting. Yeah, but I wonder how much of his... He seems to, like, literally not even feel the shock of someone who's lost a hand. He just seems to literally be like, oh, yeah, it's like somebody else lost a hand. Like, you're aware of it, but... I distinctly... It's been a while since I read that part of the series, but I distinctly remember feeling a little weird about Rand's reaction, or lack thereof, maybe I should say. And I'm convinced part of that is because he's not in his own body. It's 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 literally at that point um, Morden's body. I like it. I'm nodding to that one. Next thing I have in this scene is Rand asking, you know, why are you even here? And Lanfear says, Ravine sent those dark hounds after you tonight. Um, I would have come sooner to help you, but I cannot let the others know that I'm on your side. Convenient excuse. Yeah, Rand's like, why would a Ravine choose now to attack me? He could have done it at any time. Why not any any of the other Forsaken, even? And that's when we get the... I think we talked about this theory, or this story earlier. Yes. Where Lanfear makes the case that it's in Ravine's interest to uh, attack him at this point because you're impinging on his interests. You sent armies from Tyr toward Kyrian and now and he wants Kyrian so you're messing with him so now he's messing with you and I buy it I totally buy it I can't think of a better reason I mean I can't think of anything and to be honest Lanfear doesn't do much lying to Rand right like she's just like yeah that's the truth not that I can see I I want it to I want to find some subterfuge some manipulation but I can't think of anything no, she's like, come on, let's go take over the world together. You down? <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> and she's like, well, you should. We're going to do it anyway. Think about it. Think about it. Your time's running out, kid. You got, you got a couple of, cho- well, I'll, you know, if we're going to take over the world together, you need a teacher. Here's a teacher. Oh, I see you have some powerful Angriol there. Songriol. Sounds good. Yeah. We're doing this thing. And meanwhile, she's sort of off, back and forth, making plans with the Forsaken and plotting, and she's not always watching over Rand. 
And the rest that I have up into the re- up until the readout, which is like two-ish pages at the end, is just this conversation between Rand and Lanfear. She says the stuff about the opposing soldiers. You're impinging on his interests. That's what he why he did that. She says you've been wording your dreams against me, and he says against everyone, not just you. And that's true, even though she's, like he says, high on the list of people. <laughs> yeah. And then she she basically says, like, these dreamers on the side of the light, they suck. They don't know what they're doing. She says, I've looked into the dreams of the wise ones, and they don't know anything. Which really does tell you the level at which she's able to operate in the world of dreams. Like, if she can spy on the dreamwalkers, Lanfear is pretty goddamn skilled. You know, we we have a couple of people in Teleron Riyadh that always say, like, oh, Teleron Riyadh belongs to me. Lanfear, Pro- Magedian. Probably the most skilled in the world. More skilled than Slayer. Lanfear. Who is? Oh, Lanfear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Very even. Who, like, lives there. I, I think, maybe like. Maybe Perrin at the end. Maybe is, Perrin at the end. her. Maybe Moradin, but he more does his, like, dream shard thing, and he doesn't, like, participate in general Teleron Riyadh. He just makes his own little pocket worlds and sulks in them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Grendel's pretty good, but she's definitely behind both Mogadian and Lanfear. Messaana sucks. She gets her mind broken. But yeah, I think I think between Mogadian and Lanfear, they both think they're better. But I, might, I gotta say, I do think that that, Moget- that Lanfear is more skilled. Uh, Mogedian might be able to find places to hide, but I think Lanfear is like way more skilled at actually manipulating dreams in the world of dreams. And using force and things. Yeah. Yeah, so I just want to say one particular thing, because we have not heard much about Egwene and her gawain Galad relationship. Up to this point, I can't think of anything that hasn't been Galad first, Gawain second. Yeah, I think you're right. And so this is really the first clue here that I, I feel like this is the first time in this book where Jordan commits to saying, hey, she's actually more interested in Gawain than Galad. Yeah. Even though she's been clearly flirting with both this whole time. And I don't, you know, I, I wanted to bring this up just because you know, fuck Gawain. But also, it you know, this is something we've been looking for, and Lanfear drops this clue right in our lap. Lumen saying uh, they would rather Egwene had gone for Galad, and I just want to tell you, Lumen, we have talked about that many times in the past. <laughs> Wrong brother. <laughs> They're both kind of asses, but Galad is the better one. I, I, I just think the head of the White Cloaks and the head of the Aes Sedai would have been the perfect fucking match. Interesting. Yes, interesting. In terms of, like, redeeming the White Cloaks. <laughs> yes, Obscure. One is less of an ass. <laughs> and therefore the preferable brother. <laughs> and he clearly has no problem with Aes Sedai. He grew up with them, like, even though it's he, he is able to sort of take that tenant out of one of the, the foundation of the White Cloaks, of the hatred of the Aes Sedai. He's able to sort of reform the group a little bit. Yeah. That channeling isn't the shadow. They're not right. the same at all. I have watched the girl's dreams, too. Egwene. Once I thought you had feelings for her. Do you know who she dreams of? Morghese's son and stepson. 
the son Gawain most often. Smiling, she put on a tone of mock shock. You would not believe a simply country girl could have such dreams. She was trying to test his jealousy, he realized. She really thought he worded his dreams to hide thoughts of another woman. The maidens guard me closely, he said dryly. If you want to know how close, look at Isandra's dreams. Spots of color flared in his cheeks. Of course, he was not supposed to see what she was trying. Confusion rolled outside the void. Or did she think, Isandra? Lanfear knew she was a dark friend. Lanfear had brought Kadir and the woman to the waste in the first place, and planted most of the jewelry Isandra was accused of stealing. Lanfear's spite was cruel, even, even when petty. Still, if she thought he could love her, Isandra being a dark friend was probably no obstacle in her eyes. I should have let them send her off to try reaching the dragon wall, he went on casually, but who knows what she might have said to save herself. I must protect her and Kadir to some extent in order to protect Asmodian. The color faded, but as she opened her mouth again, a knock came out the door. Rand bounded to his feet. No one would recognize Lanfear. Yet, if a woman were discovered in his room, a woman whom none of the maidens below had seen enter, questions would be asked that he had no answers for. But Lanfear already had a gateway open, to somewhere full of white silk hangings and silver. Remember that I am your only hope of surviving, my love. It was a very cool voice in which to call someone that. Beside me, you need fear nothing. Beside me, you can rule everything that is or will be. Lifting her snowy skirts, she stepped through, and the gateway winked shut. The knock sounded again before he could make himself push away Sidene and haul open the door. Anila peered past him suspiciously, muttering, I thought perhaps Isandra... She gave him an accusing look. Spear sisters are searching everywhere for you. No one saw you return. With a shake of her head, she straightened. She always tried to stand as tall as possible. She, she, is she the short one? I think she's the short one. Anyway. <laughs> Definitely the short one, yeah. <laughs> the chiefs have come to speak with the Kyra Karn, she said formally. They wait below. They waited on the columned portico, as it turned out, being men. The sky was still dark, but the first glimmers of dawn lined the mountains to the east. If they felt any impatience with the two maidens who stood between them and the tall doors, it did not show on their shadowed faces. The Shido are moving, Han barked as soon as Rand appeared. And the Rain, the Miyagoma, the Shiand, every clan. Joining Kuladin or me? Rand demanded. The Shido are moving toward Jangai Pass, Ruark said. For the others, it is still too early to tell, but they are on the march with every spear not needed to defend the holds, herds, and flocks. Rand only nodded, all of his determination not to let anyone else dictate what he would do, and now this. Whatever the other clans intended, Kuladin had to plan a crossing into Kyrian, so much for his grand schemes of imposing peace. If the Shido ravaged Kyrian even further while he sat in Ruidian waiting for the other clans, then we move for Jangai too, he said finally. We cannot catch him if he means to cross, Aram cautioned, and Hod added sourly, if any of the others are joining him, we will be caught strung out like blindworms in the sun. I won't sit here until I find out, Rand said. If I can't catch Kuladin, I mean to be right behind him into Kyrian. Rouse the spears. We leave as soon as after first light as you can manage. Giving him that odd Aiel bow used only on the most formal occasions, one foot forward and one hand extended, the chiefs departed. Only Han said anything. 
to Shale Ghoul itself. Uh, I didn't really have much to say about that other than, you know, obviously the Spear Sisters didn't see him return because he used a gateway. They're going to have to get used to that. Yeah. They don't see him coming or going, which the fact that he does that leads directly to the box. You know, the fact that he disappears sometimes is actually a problem for him. He really should do a better job of keeping the. Yeah, duh. In like three chapters, I have the same thing to say to Elaine and Nynaeve. Like, just bring Tom and Julian. Right. They at least can watch and return if something bad happens. Right. You can't do it all yourself, guys. Stop trying. Just people are offering to help you. Just say yes. <laughs> the greatest works of people are done by the cooperation of men and women. And we see this over and over with Nynaeve and Rand. Whenever they try to do something alone, it's it's usually Nynaeve shutting down Tom and Julian or whatever other man is nearby. She's like, what do you know, you dumb man? And Rand is almost as bad or uh, probably at least as bad when he thinks like he doesn't want the women helping him because they're soft pretties who could potentially get hurt and he doesn't want to put them in that situation well you know what so are you rand like <laughs> you can also be hurt so you, you might as well bring as big of a group as you can let go let other people be heroes too yeah you can't do this alone well he'll keep trying for another couple books but uh, how many books do we have left because uh what are we uh this is five five this is book five so we got nine books of him trying to do it alone until more or less yeah (laughs) damn it rand Uh. it's amazing so much has happened so much happens in the first six books i really do think of that as the first half of the series even though there's like in terms of book number it really is like the first third maybe yeah, um, so we're almost 30% done, because we're, uh, we're, you know, a third of the way through book five, or not even a third yeah. yet. So I guess when we finish book five, we'll be more than a third. I mean, if you want to count New Spring, that's exactly a third of the books. There's so much that we're just starting to get into that I'm I'm excited to really dig into in depth, especially when Siege we start getting- Siege of Kyrie N. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. That's exciting. <laughs> Matt getting lucky. Just all the politics. I mean, and like, yes, exciting chapters like that, but also like the super exciting politics between the kin and the sea folk and like pulling all that apart and being like, this is why those characters are mad at each other. I'm like super excited to bring that up and have people who, yeah, frankly, are like, why am I reading this? To be like, oh, because this is why he's, he's showing you the background of these characters and why you might really be interested in them. That's why I'm pretty excited to get to the so-called slog as well, because I feel like we're going to actually have the most to say about that. Yeah, totally. About the subtle political machinations. There's just a lot more to talk about when things are subtle. When, you know, we say this all the time, but like when a whole chapter is just about like, and then Rand murdered a bunch of mofos and blew stuff up. There's actually not a lot to say about that. It's just the text, you know? But when, you know, someone nods and winks and a ruler dies on the other side of the world, there's a lot to say about how that happened, you know. 
And this is one of those chapters where I feel like uh, Jordan is really mastering both. There's cool scenes with the dark hounds getting chopped to pieces with a flame sword and flowing away from the symbol in the center. And then you've got Lanfear showing up and being all cryptic. And that's one of my favorite things about Lan. She's such an effective story device in book two through five, where she likes to pop in, oh, yeah. make some cryptic, cryptic statements, and then disappear again, and like give you all sorts of clues and ideas, and really sort of. But oftentimes they're in the middle of action scenes because she's so badass. She just like watches Rand kill something, whether it's Grom or take out Asmodian or Dark Hounds. She's just watching him be badass and being like, "Yeah, that's cool." Can you do it with twice as many? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's pretty funny, Lumen. Thank you for listening to the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast. Rate us in the Apple Podcast app or support us on Patreon. Is that good enough? As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.